family, it is really I mean, awesome just to be in church again uh, this morning. Um, yeah, excited about the word. And as we gear up for Christmas next week, um, all of you ready for Christmas next week? Done your holiday shopping? You've done, um, you've beat the rush in the mall. Some of you really enjoy going to the mall. Huh? I know people, they do that and it relaxes them. I hate it. <laughs> I really don't enjoy super crowded places. Um, and then also maybe just a, a point of um, um, order for next time. You know, these empty spaces where people don't sit, that's normally where the biggest anointing rests during the service. So just a heads up for, for next time. And that is obviously a joke. Um, we are in a series called Unwrapping the Present. So I brought a present. Um, and uh, yeah, Eugene preached last week on Unwrapping 2023 or Remembering what God has done. And today we'll be speaking about unwrapping the goodness of God. Um, James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, if you were to go into that passage in James, it is speaking about people putting their faith and their trust in different things that do shift, that do change. But then we have a God who does not shift, who does not change. And everything that is good and perfect comes from Him. Now, um, as we are gearing up for Christmas, whom of you enjoy getting presents? Jonathan, you like getting presents, right? Whom of you love buying presents for people? Okay, there's those people as well. Now, you know, sometimes you have an anticipation where throughout the year you've made it very clear what you would like for Christmas. Uh, like when um, Evan was born in March and people were saying, hey guys, how are you doing? Is there anything that you need? Um, and every time I would say, well, we really need a PlayStation 5. So, um, and I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> so we'll see what happens on Christmas. But you know, sometimes when you open your present and it's not necessarily what you wanted, right? Okay. Um, Maybe husbands are, uh, you get really gifted husbands, maybe Gideon is like that, who have this ability to buy and to, to read between the lines. And when you open, it's like, yep, this is exactly what I wanted without me having to tell you, hey, I would really love to have this for my birthday or for Christmas. Um, my wife, for instance, does not enjoy a gift card for Christmas um, or a voucher because it's just too generic. So husbands, we actually have to do make an effort. Um, now, there's a scene in a movie where this child on his birthday runs down the stairs and as he gets downstairs, he immediately looks at all of his presents. And there's many, like more than 20. I can't remember the exact number in this, in this scene. And he starts counting them and he lashes out at his parents and he says, there's less than there were the previous year. And then his parents are like, yeah, yeah oh, we know, but... Some of them are quite bigger than last year. And he continues saying, it doesn't matter. There's less presence this year. Now, none of us hearing that story or thinking about that scene said, ah, oh, what a sweet boy. He's just so excited about his birthday. No, we're thinking, what a spoiled brat. I don't know if you're allowed to say brat in church, but I won't say it again this year. <laughs> What a spoiled brat. I think he needs to go to the bathroom. And whatever you do there is between you and 
and him. Now, I want to make a statement, and then I want to come back to it at the end of the sermon. The statement is, if God's gift through Jesus Christ is not seen as the pinnacle of God's goodness, then we will act like spoiled children. If God's gift through Jesus Christ is not seen as the pinnacle, the the biggest part of God's goodness extended to us, then we will act like spoiled children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and active. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will come and do what no man can do to make the word alive to our hearts. Speak to us. We ask, Lord, that you speak to us. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be in the book of Hosea as we unpack that statement. And um, the backdrop to Hosea is pretty much the same as the Israelites throughout all of their Old Testament history. God chose them. He has a plan for them to make them into a great nation that ultimately through the nation of Israel, all the nations will be blessed. So from the beginning of time, the plan has that been through Israel, a true king, a savior will be born. But now Israel keeps rejecting God, keeps rebelling against God, keeps falling into idolatry and worshiping other gods, and God keeps redeeming them, keeps going back. Now in the book of Hosea, it's exactly the same story. It's like rinse and repeat with the Israelites. And now they've started falling into Baal worship. And what happens with this is they would go to certain temples or um, high places And in this worship, there would be a lot of practices and ceremonies and rituals that I am not necessarily allowed to speak about from a pulpit on a Sunday where there's children involved. Some of the stuff that you read, if you go into the book of Hosea and into the history of what they were worshiping and how that worship was expressed, like, what? These are God's people who acted in such a way that we would really like stand back and say, yo, Lord. Your mercy is quite great that you did not destroy them as you did with the enemies of Israel. But now God is in this place again with his people where they have turned their back on him and they have forgotten about his faithfulness. They have taken for granted the presence of God and they've become familiar with God's faithfulness and they've turned away and become unfaithful and started worshiping other gods. And now God has to send a messenger again to call them back and to portray and communicate to them his faithfulness, his purposes, his plan. But now he's got a people who are stubborn. They don't want to listen. So God raises up Hosea. And through Hosea, God now brings a very creative message. So Hosea in chapter 1 starts off where God says to him, Hosea, go and marry a woman. And it says, go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. So the prophet of God needs to go and find a wife that is a harlot. If you read the rest of the story, she's unfaithful. She goes to other husbands. And in this passage, she has a children. She has a child with Hosea. But then the story is very clear that she has illegitimate children. And God starts to name these children. One of them is No Mercy. Good morning, No Mercy. Did you sleep well? (laughs) The other one is Not My People. Weird names, right? Imagine being Hosea, being the one who has been called to now walk out God's plan in order to communicate a message to the nation of Israel. So Hosea is faithful. And then in chapter 2, 
God starts to communicate to Hosea that I will redeem my people back to myself. They will again be a bride that is faithful to only me. So all of this is this creative picture where Hosea is portraying quite visibly, Israel, this is you. You have been betrothed to God. You are supposed to be faithful to him, but you have turned your back on him. You have gone into harlotry and adultery. You have gone to other lovers and have forsaken your first love. And then God says, I will restore them. I will redeem them. They will be faithful to me again. And then chapter 3, and this is where we pick it up. Chapter 3 says, And the Lord said to Hosea, Go again. Everyone say, go again. If you go again, it means that you have gone before, right? Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and raisins, which was part of their ceremonies and rituals, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a measure of barley. So God says to Hosea, Hosea, go again, go and find your wife who has once again turned her back on you and has been unfaithful with another man. Go again. Not the first time, not the second time. Go again and bring her back. But now, Gomer has done something that has now caused her to be enslaved because he has to buy her back. But <laughs> she's his wife. No, no, she has a price. We don't know what she did. The story doesn't give us all the detail. But she has done something. Her life of unfaithfulness and adultery has caused her to be in a place of debt where she needs to be bought out. And then Hosea says, hey, but here's my marriage certificate. No, 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 this is her price. Okay, how much is the price? This is her price. Okay, I'll pay. I'll buy her back. I'll buy back my own wife. Continues, and I said to her, now this is Hosea speaking to Gomer, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Now all of those things, speaking about kings and princes, sacrifices and pillars, the ephod and the household gods, were all speaking about the false gods, the things that they set up to worship Baal, not the true God. So they will be without their false gods. And then the last part says, Afterward, the children of Israel, so now he's no longer speaking to Gomer, right? Now he's again back into this picture to say, remember that this whole image is actually speaking about Israel and God. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. Now the nation of Israel knows what it means to fear God. And I think maybe in the westernized church, we can do with a little bit of an awakening of the fear of the Lord in the church. To know that God is holy. To know that God is perfect and pure. That he is a consuming fire. And they've witnessed the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, often against the enemies of Israel, 
where God would show up and he would defeat those who oppose themselves against God. But they have also experienced God being righteous towards sin, even among their own people, where God would deal with sin because he is a God who is to be feared, who is to be revered. But here it says that not only will they stand in fear of God, they will stand in fear of his goodness. They will stand in fear of his goodness. And it is actually quite simple. On the back of their sin and what they actually deserve, they get to witness and experience God's mercy. That God is restoring them as his bride. And even though they have been immensely unfaithful, and God would be justified to cast them away, to say, you have chosen your path, now go your way, go and enjoy the choices that you've made. Live out the choice of, of, that you've made. Even though that has been their choice, God has remained a faithful husband to her. There is judgment against sin. Even in this passage, we'll see that God does judge sin and he works it out, but they as a people are not cast off. So even though God deals with their rebellion, even though God deals with their sin, they as a people are not cast off. They are called to return. They are called to not play the harlot anymore and to be faithful to God and God will remain faithful to them. And where God says to Hosea, go again. Hosea, go again. This is God going again and again and again after the people of Israel. In light of their unfaithfulness, their idolatry, God goes again. And I think if, if we reflect just on the simplicity of that core, in light of what Israel deserved, because of their own wickedness, their own sinfulness, and what they were granted, the mercy of God, not cast off, that God says, I will remain faithful to you. There is something inside of them that says, Lord, we stand in fear or in awe of your goodness. What you have given to us, Lord, is undeserved. We stand in awe of your goodness. Now, coming back to us, you and I sitting here this morning, I hope it is very clear that you and I are not the heroes in the story. You know, sometimes we do that thing where we read the story of David and Goliath and they're like, go out and be like David. The message for you this morning is not, go out and be like Hosea. No, no, friends, the message this morning is that you and I are Gomer. You and I are Gomer. Jesus is Hosea. As we have given ourselves to other things. Now, our idolatry and, and false worship maybe looks a lot more acceptable in today's terms than it did back then, but it's no less sinful. Now, maybe I can just speak for myself and my own life. You see, when Jesus found me, my life wasn't all neat and perfect and sorted out, and I was this really great candidate where Jesus says, well, my eyes is looking for good people to save, and I found one. He has tried so hard. He has done his part. Now I'll do my part and I'll save him. I was this good candidate. No, no, no. The Bible says that while I was a sinner, while I had no interest in God, God saved me. I remember coming back to church. Um, my motive wasn't pure. 
I wanted breakthrough in my life and I realized, well, if I want God to do something for me, I probably have to go back to church again. But God met me there. And God stirred an awakening in my soul to start responding to him, reaching out to me. It was always him first. It's always Jesus first who pursues us. And now, after I got born again, I had moments where I slid back into my old life. And some of the things I slid back into wasn't necessarily very um, glamorous. It's almost like Jesus saved me from certain things and then I just run back into it. I don't know how many of you have seen that video of the, the guy who pulls a sheep out of a ditch. And then the moment he pulls him out, he jumps, jumps, jumps back into the ditch. Hello, that's us. The Bible says we are sheep, right? And it's almost like God would take you out of something that is destroying you, save you, and then you're like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go back to that again. That's where I found myself. Now, I'd love to say that today, after, when did I get born again? In 2005. After how many years is that, Gideon? Huh? 18 years. Thank you, Kate. Um, I would love to say that I am now the perfect example of a faithful, faithful bride to Jesus. But I'm not. My backsliding doesn't, isn't maybe that public or that publicly harmful to me, but it's still sin. My insecurities lead me into a place of sometimes being dishonest or covering up my mistakes because I want to protect myself. You know that I sometimes struggle with fear, and then that fear leads me to do things that's maybe contrary to God's word or to put a, um, a weight on myself or a trust within myself to get something done because I'm not necessarily certain whether God will actually stay true to his word. And then I again become unfaithful and fall into loving other things more than I love God. But right throughout my life, this has been the same thing, that Jesus goes again. <laughs> he comes again and again and again to call me back to himself. He does not cast me away. He remains the faithful husband. If I reflect on this year alone, yes, there's many things or times when I can reflect on God's goodness where I prayed and he brought about a breakthrough. And you know, sometimes we link God's goodness to our effort. Yes, Lord, we were faithful this year. I started tithing and then God brought about a breakthrough in my finances. So God's goodness was portrayed. But just remember that I also did my part. I can reflect on this year of so many times where I was not faithful, but he was. Where he extended his mercy, where his goodness was still present. And I think, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. God's goodness over our lives is not a sign of his approval over everything that you and I do. It's a sign of his faithfulness. The goodness of God is not a sign of his approval. It's a sign of his faithfulness. Romans 6.23 is very clear on this. It says, the wages of sin is death. Whom of you here work? Okay, whom of you are going on holiday? Okay, when you're going on holiday, it means that you are taking a break from something, so you're working, that's good. Whom of you get a salary because you work? Okay, that's good. Whom of you would be very happy if you did not get your salary? No, no, we, we go very public <laughs> when you don't get your salary. Why? Because I earned it. I worked for it. Paul says in Romans 6, 
the rightful payment for the work of sin is death. Death eternally, death spiritually, death emotionally, death financially. We actually deserve God to be removed from us because of sin. And sometimes we fall into that place where we say, this and this has happened, I don't deserve this. My friends, you and I deserve much worse. The rightful payment for the work of sin, which all of us have done, is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God has done something that we did not warrant, deserve, or earn that is far beyond what we could comprehend. You see, eternal life is possible when our sin has been taken care of. When someone else took the punishment that we deserve so that we could be set free, so that we could be declared innocent. But now, not just does God declare us innocent, He calls us back and says, You are mine. You belong to me. I will be your faithful husband for eternity. You are my bride. This is the greatest gift God can give us. Eternal life is the greatest gift God can give us. Everything else that God gives us is secondary to eternal life. And the gift, like I said, is undeserved, unearned, unwarranted. It's from His goodness. And Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with um, give all things graciously. Let me read that again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God has not withheld his best from me, I can have confidence that he will also give me everything else that is lesser than his son. Anything else that God gives us from His goodness, from His mercy, from His abundance is less than His Son. There is nothing that God can give you that is more than Jesus. And He's already given us Christ. And that brings me to a place of having confidence in His faithfulness. That God will give me all things because He's already given me the best. He's already given me the greatest. Now, some of the gifts that we receive from God is our marriages. That's a gift from God. It's a temporary gift, so steward it well. Our children are gifts from God. Provision. When God provides, it's a gift. But you can receive all of those things and not have eternal life and they would be wasted. You see, what happens is we need to understand that all the gifts of God are locked up within the gift which is Jesus Christ. And when you and I open up the gift of Christ, we actually become part of Him. And all of the fullness of God dwells within Christ. And when you and I are in Christ, the fullness of God dwells within us. So now I get to pull out of this gift bag my marriage. Lord, thank you for my marriage. It's secondary to the gift of salvation. Lord, for our children, for your provision, God, for your word. Friends, do you know that when you read your Bible, there are promises in here that belong to the people of God. 
There are things that God speaks to His people that will be, remain true until eternity. The Bible says that no word from God will, re will return void. No promise of God will return unanswered. But they belong to the people of God. Now here's the thing. When you have received the gift of Christ, you have become part of the people of God. And His promises towards you are yes and amen. So now I take out the word and say, Lord, thank you on the basis of who I am in Christ. I belong to you. You speak possession over my life. I can claim your word as my own. There are certain things that God promises you and you can lay claim to it. You can hold God accountable to it. Because he has made you his possession through Christ. When we understand that the greatest gift that God has given us is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord then even unanswered prayers can become a gift from God. You know that unanswered prayer sometimes teaches us patience. It teaches us endurance. It also teaches us that not all of the things that we want are good. Praise God, He hasn't given me everything that I've always wanted. Because some of those things would have taken me away from Him. When we understand the gift, the greatest gift of God, then even delayed answers can be gifts. Redirection in your life can be a gift. Discipline is a gift. When God brings correction, it's a gift because God disciplines those whom He loves. If there is no discipline, it means you are illegitimate. You are not truly God's children. When we understand that the fullness of God is locked up in the person of Christ, this is the greatest gift God could give you. And everything else is locked up within Christ. I'll share quickly. In my own life, um, I've always had a challenge with trusting God for provision. I don't know why. Um, like this fear of not having enough. And at the end of 2006, I was coming back to South Africa from England, but I started, started studying part-time. And now I needed to get out of my study contract. And we wrote writing letters to uh, the people who matter. And then we first got a rejection. It's like, no, sorry, the contract is binding. We wrote another letter and prayed, obviously. And I remember coming back from a night shift on the, 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 um, the counter table, there was a letter. And the letter simply stated, they cannot really explain why, but the debt has been canceled. And, and I can remember so clear, clearly God just saying, I will provide for that which I have called you for. That was end of 2006. And still, God is still reminding me of just that simple promise, I will provide for that which I have called you for. Now, in that, and I'll share with you from my own life, and you need to discover your own as you spend time with Jesus, in this box, and I'll, and I'll, um, I'll give you a secret. The things that I'm going to pull out now are just normal promises from God's Word for all of His people. The Bible says, and this is in... Um, where is it? In Psalm 34 verse 10, it says, You will lack no good thing. I pull that out. Thank you, Jesus. You will lack no good thing. Not measuring goodness towards what someone else has. No, God's promise over my life and over my family, over our son and further children, God willing, they will lack no good thing. Whatever is good, they will not lack it. God also said that he will bless us so that we will be a blessing unto others. There will be more than enough. My more than enough does not need to look like your more than enough. 
But there's a promise, Lord, there will be more than enough so that we can live a life that is a blessing unto others. I hold God accountable to his word. Lord, I'm trusting you for that promise to be fulfilled. Two things this year that has been highlighted, that has also been placed in this box. I get to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice, the shepherd says. My friends, doesn't matter where your life is at currently. That doesn't matter what next year's prospects look like. Having confidence that you can hear the Father's voice. He will lead you. He will direct you. That should stir hope in your heart. And the other one in, in the book of Jude, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless at the end of the age. Hallelujah. Even in my moment of sin, even in my moment of weakness, God's promise in light of the promise of Christ still says, I will keep you until the end. Not my own works, not my own ability to be a perfect Christian. No, no, no. Me being locked up in the promise of Christ found in Jesus says, I will keep you till the end. I will present you faultless and blameless. But thank you that I get to pull out these gifts. But the gifts are um, found in the fullness of Christ. So back to the statement. If God's gift through Jesus Christ is not seen as the pinnacle of God's goodness, then we will act like spoiled children. We become entitled. We become familiar with God. And we might even say things like this, like, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus saved me, but, and you can fill in your own blank. As if God still needs to do something more to prove himself to me. And if I've moved the gift of Christ to the side where this is no longer the greatest gift God has given me, then it does not matter what else God will give me. It will never be enough. God will always have to do more and more and more. And next year, Lord, but last year you gave me five presents. This year I'm only getting four. That's not fair. And we act like spoiled children expecting God to bow down to us. Now, friends, the greatest gift that you and I can receive is Christ. And in Him, the fullness of God. When we treasure Christ, when we remind ourselves that this is the greatest gift that has been given unto mankind, there's three things that will be produced in our lives. Gratitude. Gratitude. And gratitude brings forth praise and you enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise you want more of god's presence manifested in your life praise him be grateful for who he is and what he has done god does not need to answer any other prayer this side of eternity to make him more good he has given us the greatest good christ obedience Understanding what God has done for us through Christ will produce a, an obedience in us. The first time that the word worship is used in, is in the book of Genesis, where Abraham says to his slave, going to offer Isaac, he says, that my, the son and I will go up the mountain to worship God. Obedience is worship. When we understand who Christ is and what God has done for us and what he has already given us, we will obey him. We will worship him. And then finally, we will testify. We will tell of his goodness. We will share of his goodness. 
You see, often in the times we live in now, we become overly aware of our circumstances. We become overly aware of the economical pressures. We become overly aware of the lack in our own lives, and we start to focus inwards. But when you and I live from a position where this gift has been opened, we have the fullness of God dwelling inside of us, and we can actually testify to the goodness of God. In the season we're going in now, you know how many people are going into the season lonely? People are maybe for the first time going through Christmas without a spouse or a loved one. This is one of the greatest opportunities for you and I as the church to testify to the goodness of God. And maybe it's as simple as you inviting someone over for supper. But when we've closed this gift and we've become unaware of the goodness of God through Christ, we start to focus inwards. I want us to end with a song that's going to play on the board. Well, on the board, on the screen, the back. And then we'll pray. Before we do, I want to just, yeah, I want to ask, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Even in this moment, Lord Jesus, would you come and reveal to us the magnitude again of the gift of your life? Lord, forgive us where we've become so familiar with the cross. Lord, in a culture where the cross is often even seen as a fashion statement worn around our necks. Would you just remind us again, Lord, of the beauty of the cross and the magnitude of the gift of your life. Amen. Oh
could have been six feet under I could have been lost forever Yeah, I should be in that fire But now there's fire inside of me Here I am, a dead man walking No grave gonna hold God's people All the weight of all our evil Lived it away, forever free Who could believe, who could believe Forgiven, forgiven You love me even when I don't quite a vivid picture if we go with the words of the song where it says I'm the one holding the hammer about to put the nail in the feet of Jesus and then you see the arms of Jesus stretched wide open and his statement on the cross was father forgive them and he cried out and says it is finished the forgiveness of sin and the salvation to all mankind has been made available and friends we need to we need to see ourselves in that place where we are holding the hammer, crucifying Jesus. Because it wasn't some sin that put Jesus on the cross, it was all sin. And when it comes to God's holiness, there isn't categories of sin where this one is like it put more weight on, on Jesus. No, no, there's holiness and there's sin. And all sin is void of holiness and all sin paid its part in crucifying Christ but still this was the arm stretched open and declaring over those who would receive the gift forgiven forgiven no longer enslaved by sin forgiven and in my own life I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness undeserving goodness his faithfulness undeserving faithfulness where he remains faithful even when I am not and this produces in us a gratitude. It leads us into obedience, not out of duty, but out of worship, because he is worthy. And then an overflow of our lives is we will testify to his goodness. And that's my prayer for us as a church, that the, the magnitude of the gift of Christ will grow in our hearts. And that we'll understand that every other gift is found within the gift of Christ. In him, the fullness of God dwells. And in him, every promise is yes and amen. Father, we thank you for your son. And even as we go into this Christmas season, Lord, I want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh on us? And like Gideon spoke earlier and shared that, it's the power of God that has come upon us and we will be your witnesses. Lord, would you help us to witness over this holiday time? Help us, Lord, not to keep the gift to ourselves, 
but that we will share it generously because you have generously given it to us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.